Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Other Hand is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Afternoon, Jim. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of The Other Hand. I'm going to start with some sad news. It's been a week for obituaries, and we've had an investor that many people not in the investing world wouldn't have heard of, a guy called Charlie Munger, but a giant in that world. And I wanted to say a couple of words about him. Yeah, Henry Kissinger has died at the age of 100. Uh, Shane McGowan of the Pogues has died at the age of 65. And Alistair Darling, the UK's Chancellor of the Exchequer during the financial crisis, has died of cancer at the age of 70. All very sad, of course. I... I'm going to start by asking you if you've had any, any views on Henry Kissinger. I've seen lots of obituaries and lots of comments ranging from statesman, shaper of decades of U.S. foreign policy to war criminal uh, and all points in between. But the most interesting one that for me that I came across in the context of a lot of global events today was that he was an emigre from Germany. I think at the age of 13, his family fled just before Kristallnacht, which was really the start of the pogroms, uh, or at least uh, a, a key event in, in the, the pogroms that led to the Holocaust. 13 of his family members died in the Holocaust after he and his immediate family had managed to get out just in time. And quite a few people asked him after the war why he didn't hate the Germans. And he didn't. He approached Germany and the U.S. relationship with Germany in a spirit of forgiveness and cooperation and was a great friend of Konrad Adenauer, for example, a great post-war German chancellor. 
And this one obituary said, and I'm not sure whether they were Kissinger's words or whether they were an interpretation that the obituary writer put on him, but he said that uh, Kissinger believed that hate psychologically was a very easy thing to do and forgiveness psychologically is a very hard thing to do. I've no idea whether there is evidence for that or not, or whether indeed it is true. It certainly seems plausible, at least if we look at events around the world today. Do you have a view of Kissinger, Jim? Well, I, as a kid, um, Kissinger's name was ubiquitous, really, uh, during the Nixon and Ford presidencies. You know, he was uh, a global figure. And in fact, he remained a global figure up until his death, basically, because he was still traveling, couldn't travel to certain com- countries because um, they were threatening to arrest him for and question him for war crimes. Um, but he was still a global player, um, had an incredibly sharp mind, sharp intellect up to the very end, um, 100 years of age when he died. Um, he was, you know, a global statesman. He was a global authority on international relations, um, but the, the the reaction to his death, and indeed this is not just his death. Actually, I've I've come across a lot of it in recent times. I mean, he's reviled by a lot of people. He's adored by a lot of people. He was a very strong character who had very strong views, and um, he certainly was totally and utterly obsessed with preventing communist regimes from gaining power, particularly in Latin American countries uh, back in the day. And uh, I have to say, uh, I'd find that a noble pursuit because I think communism is a great evil, um, as we, we've seen play out in many countries over the years. So I, I'd have mixed views on him, just as I expect, expressed mixed views on Margaret Thatcher in a podcast last week. I'd express mixed views about Kissinger as well. A lot about him. I sorry, admired. Jim. Sorry, I have to interrupt you there because in this polarised era that we live in, uh, you've just broken all the rules of engagement, which is that you, you've got to be on one side or the other. You can't have a nuanced view. You can't say it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You've got to come down firmly on one side of the fence. You're either for this man or against him. Come on. Obey, obey the rules of modern discourse, please. I'll ignore those rules, Chris. As I say, and I repeat, there were certain aspects of Kissinger I would have had problems with. There were many aspects that I would be hugely supportive of. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, he was what he was. He was a strong individual, um, came from an incredibly interesting background, had an incredible influence and in some really important moments in modern history. Um, and I've, I've, I've read some of the biographies of Kissinger over the years and uh, I've enjoyed him. So uh, I think the world actually is a sadder place without him. He left behind a wife of 50 years. I believe uh, that was the number. And incredibly, uh, he was married twice. So his 50 year marriage was actually his second marriage, which I suppose speaks to that very long life that he led. Mm. So rest in peace. Henry Kissinger. Uh, Alistair Darling, he's a man that has interested you, I know. I think you've read his book, actually, Jim. And yeah, he was, he published. He was the Chancellor here in the UK during the great financial crisis and was really uh, the, the opposite in personality to another Scot, a Prime Minister that he served under, Gordon Brown. Gordon Brown was renowned for his hot temper and, uh, shall we say, mercurial nature. 
whereas Alistair Darling was renowned to be a voice of calm, a voice of reason. So a loss, I think. Yeah, I mean, his book, which was published in 2011, was called Back from the Brink, A Thousand Days at Number 11. And, you know, he was chancellor during the global financial crisis. And the, the, the bit about that book, and it actually prompted me to buy it when it was published, was his reaction the morning he woke up to discover that the Irish government had decided to provide a blanket guarantee for the banking system here. Um, that certainly shocked him at the time. and uh, Shocked okay, me, I can tell you. It, it did indeed. But let, let's remember he was Chancellor of the Exchequer in a member country of the European Union. And this came yes. as a total bolt out of the blue for him. So, uh, uh, yeah, it was a, an interesting man. Um, I, I guess you'd probably think that the policies he pursued are pretty instrumental in the UK being in the mess that it's in today in terms of austerity. Mm, I'm not so sure about that. I blame most of the mess that Britain is in right now for 13 years of Tory rule, uh, long after he ceased to be Chancellor. So, uh, yeah, there, there may have been some things that he did during the financial crisis that contributed to it. Britain's long history of lack of investment actually does predate the current lot uh, but they are responsible for most of it. But I've done that particular diatribe many, many times. Uh, another person that died almost 100, 99, was a guy called Charlie Munger. As I say, not many people outside the investing world will have heard of him. He was Warren Buffett's sidekick. More people will have heard of Warren Buffett. Occasionally has been the world's richest man. And some would argue, I think with some justification, that Buffett was the, the world's most successful investor that we've ever seen uh, in terms of the amount of money that he's made just from investing his and other people's money. I think there's no doubt about that. And Munger was his sidekick, was his number two, didn't occupy the headlines nearly as much as Buffett, but was a class investor in all sorts of different ways. His writings and his speeches weren't as prolific as Buffett's, both though Buffett's and Munger's are worth reading if anybody's interested in investing their own money in financial markets generally, or indeed what other people are doing with their savings, because one of the things that these guys did was manage other people's money as well as their own, as I say. And uh, he he had great wisdom. He, he was extraordinary in his ability to uh, anticipate moves in financial markets, moves in asset prices. And he was responsible for something that uh, a lot of investors sh should have paid more attention to. Uh, Buffett uh, was a disciple of somebody called Ben Graham, who invented called something called or proposed something called value investing, which on the face of it sounds almost superficial, which is that you should only ever buy assets when they're cheap. But Buffett took it to a particular extreme and only ever wanted to buy what he called cigar butt investments, uh, assets, companies that uh, were really down on their luck, that were still producing cash flows that nobody else was interested in. And he only wanted to buy those assets when they were unambiguously cheap. And that spawned an industry that persists to the present day of people trying to emulate exactly that investment strategy. And it spawned a whole host of other strategies. That's value investing. There's growth investing. There's day of the week investing. There's January investing. There's Santa Claus investing. And a whole host of stuff that uh, I have long regarded as interesting, wrapped around a grain of truth, but mostly nonsense. And one of these days, I'll do a podcast on investing on why I think that is mostly 
nonsense. But he persuaded Buffett that he shouldn't buy just cheap, unambiguously cheap companies. He should buy great companies at a fair price. And that's something that so-called value investors never do or rarely do, uh, or at least say they never do. And there, there is colossal wisdom in that simple, simple statement. Um, but enough of that. As I say, a whole a whole podcast or series of, series of podcasts could be done on Chris Johns' theory of investing. If anybody wants them, please let me know. Um, we've also had Shane McGowan. Yeah, can I just um, say a couple of words about Munger, if I may? Uh, the, Benjamin oh, yeah, Graham, the Benjamin Graham book, The Intelligent Investor, um, which is described as the classic bestseller on value investing, the introduction to that was written by Warren Buffett. But um, last Christmas, I bought my son um, a book on Charlie Munger um, containing a lot of his quotes, investment quotes over the years. And the, the one that I think uh, struck out in my mind was where he was asked a question about EBITDA, that's earnings before interest, tax, depreciation and amortization. EBITDA, Jim, EBITDA. What did I call it? Abita. I thought I thought you were to start talking about Peronists in Argentina then for a second. <laughs> no, no. Uh, he described it as um, bullshit earnings. Yes, he mm. thinks that uh, it was an absolute one of the many things that he thought about modern investing that was an absolute nonsense. Yeah, and I think he didn't get everything right, but he got most things right. Um, Chris, before you get into- on to Shane McGowan, if I just there's a couple of things about. Um, Henry Kissinger, I think that are worth noting as well. And it just shows how history keeps repeating itself. I mean, one of Kissinger's greatest achievements was getting Nixon to visit China. Um, And Kissinger recently met with Xi Jinping, actually. he did indeed. So it it just shows the way history keeps repeating itself. And of course, he did win the Nobel Peace Prize for his um, efforts to end the Vietnam War. But anyway, going on to Shane McGowan. Sad age, um, 65. It's too young. It's my age. Um, yeah, it is of course. sad age, absolutely. But uh, I've been br- sick for some time. Yeah, br- brilliant songwriter, brilliant musician. Um, had Most people was- will know him for one song only, but of course he, his music stretched far and wide beyond that Christmas song. Yeah, Fairytale New York. But he did one with um, Sinead O'Connor, and sadly the two of them, both gone in 2022. We're both singers of uh, Christmas in New York. What What's the exact title of that famous Christmas song? I've forgotten it. Fairy Tale um, of New York. Fairy Tale of New York. Kirstie They're both McCall. singers dead now. Kirsty McCall died a while ago. She did. She was killed in a mm. by a some sort of a ski accident in um, a jet ski. She was taken out of the yes. water by a jet ski in Mexico. Um, but. Uh, the the one he did with um, Sinead O'Connor was absolutely fantastic as well, Haunted. And uh, as I say, both of those gone this year. It's very, very sad. Okay, Jim, now on to uh, less sad, but nevertheless serious matters. And in fact, probably joyful matters. We've had a end November nice surprise on inflation numbers, if not on both sides of the Atlantic, certainly on this side. So in your inimitable fashion, can you take us through Uh, the good news on inflation. I think the context for all of this, Chris, is the rubbishing of the inflation transitory school over the last 12 months. Um, And the only thing the transitory school got wrong was their timing. Um, It actually, inflation didn't come down as quickly as they believed it would. But nevertheless, it is coming down very, very sharply. Ireland's 
um, harmonized index of consumer prices at 2.3% in November. Um, the Eurozone, 2.4%, which is the lowest since July 2021. And core inflation, which excludes food and energy for the euro area, down at 3.6%, which is the lowest since April 2022. So in Europe, we're seeing inflation very steadily moving towards that 2% or slightly lower target that the European Central Bank has. In the United States, um, PCE, personal consumer expenditure inflation, which is the favoured measure of the Federal Reserve, um, it was flat um, in October, which was the lowest or the weakest since July 22. Um, and the core rate at three and a half percent, which is the lowest since April 21. So in other words, in the United States as well, inflationary pressures continue to lose momentum. And this brings me back to something that uh, I've brought up many times and you've discussed it with me many times. The, the Those comments that we've heard from central bankers and indeed other forecasting forecasters arguing that it would be well into 2025 before we saw inflation hitting the sort of 2% level. Uh, th those comments and forecasts baffled me, I have to say, because how you could possibly come out and say something like that with any level of credibility just defies me. But um, it's been proven wrong very, very quickly. And uh, it's clear that we're going to hit those inflation targets sooner rather than later, meaning that interest rates will start to come down sooner rather than later. At least logically, they should. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I would agree with you that the, with your comments about teen transitory, uh, of which I was one in the very beginning, and we had our confidence knocked by the fact that inflation didn't come down in the way that we thought it would, uh, because we've had two main influences on global inflation, which is the long drawn out consequences of the financial and economic policies pursued during the pandemic. And they just took a lot longer to work through the system and arguably are still working through the system. Actually, we're not finished with post pandemic economic consequences. There are still quite a few aftershocks going on there. But of course, all of that inflation, which was supply side was compounded by the big energy shock uh, in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Again, that persists to the present day. And we're going to get a nasty, well, we know about it, so it's not a surprise. Uh, electricity and gas costs for households in the UK are going up 5% in January. 
so th- th- these things do have do have as- aftershocks but they th- these inflation numbers are coming down in a way that teen transitory essentially thought they would as you say the timing was off and we put our hands up for that but the reason why i think teen transitory were right is that inflation has come down on both sides of the atlantic without a very large dog not barking because all of the economic models followed by these central bankers and indeed why they're saying it'll take them ages to get inflation down to their targets is because all of their models say that you can't get inflation down unless you create some unemployment and on both sides of the atlantic we've got stable and low if not actually full employment and in the UK, the CSO only this week released some ex- experimental numbers that suggested that the true rate of unemployment in the UK is down at three and a half percent. In the euro area, unemployment is at its lowest level in this century so far. Um, it's it's six, six and a half percent, which by European standards is incredibly low. And we've definitely got full employment job shortages in the United States. And According to orthodox economics, inflation coming down with the labor market that tight just shouldn't have happened. And those of us that thought inflation was going to come down never thought that it required a rise in unemployment, just required time. We got the length of time wrong. So I'm not doing cartwheels. I'm not going to do high fives with you, Jim, not least because I'm not even in the same country with you. But uh, the evidence as it's emerging is that uh, we were broadly correct and that inflation can come down without rising unemployment. That might be the next shoe to drop, because we keep getting forecasts of lower growth everywhere. Um, We had some numbers out suggesting that the labour market is weakening it finally in the United States a bit. Not a lot, but unemployment insurance claims, new claims for the dole in the United States went up unexpectedly today. And that, plus a couple of other things, suggests that maybe, just maybe, the labour market is weakening a little but basically, we, we have very, very strong jobs markets on both sides of the Atlantic. And as I say, that just wasn't supposed to be accompanied by rapid and surprising and more than forecast falls in inflation. Yeah, um, there was other data out of the States pending home sales down by one and a half percent in October, which is the lowest since records began in 2001. And personal spending was up by 0.2 percent, which is the weakest growth in five months. And there's a, I think there's an interesting breakdown there that the spending on goods was down by 0.2%. On services, it was up by 04 And it was mainly healthcare. So it shows that actually rising interest rates are impacting the housing market and are also impacting the consumer. So, you know, clearly the cumulative effect of the rate increases we've seen everywhere over the last um, 18 months or slightly more at this stage um, is starting to work through the system um, as as you would expect. And I think the when we do our Outlook for 2024 podcast or, or one or two of those in the next few weeks, um, I, I think we will be discussing when the first rate increase, sorry, the first rate cut will happen in Europe and in the United States, and indeed if the, in the United Kingdom. If those outlook, if those outlook pieces involve economic forecast, Jim, you're doing them on your own, of course. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, Chris, I was thinking about those podcasts on the way back from Athlone today, and I was thinking what we need to, the way we need to approach it, really, 
is not to make forecasts, but it's just to talk about what the key mm. themes and issues will be in 2024. And I think one of these will be when rates start to come down. It's been tempting to say, talking about interest rates, that the latest inflation numbers come on the back of other numbers that have all surprised on the downside. There's been a string of inflation reports over the last while, not all of them, but quite a few of them that have surprised on the downside. Inflation has come in weaker than expected. But that wouldn't be quite right, because one very important constituency did anticipate these lower inflation numbers, and that's the all-important bond market, the market that essentially takes the aggregate. You can infer what interest rate expectations are going to be. And those markets have joined with us, actually, and blowing a big fat raspberry, that's a technical term, to central bankers who keep saying that they're never going to cut interest rates again. And in fact, they want to put them up again. And so the bond markets today, in reaction so far, actually, has been incredibly interesting in that bond yields have actually risen a touch on both sides of the Atlantic at the time of speaking. That can change, which in the parlance of traders and investors is buying the rumor, selling the fact, which is that the markets have been betting that these inflation numbers would come in better than expected and so have bought bonds as a result over the last month. It's been one of the best months for bond prices in the United States at least for as long as anybody can remember. It's been stellar returns, which has prompted equity markets to have a stellar month as well. It's been an everything rally, as we say. So bonds saw this coming and now that it's actually happened, they're not reacting which is exactly what markets are supposed to do. They're, they're supposed to anticipate rather than react. Often they, they do a bit of both. So as always, the market reaction to these things is endlessly fascinating. Um, and I I think that eyes are going to turn to the 2024 outlook and what that might hold. And we still have to contend with all of those forecasts. We got one for the OECD this week. I think it was forecasting a GDP recession in Ireland for 2024, for example, um, people are still worried about the global growth outlook, notwithstanding the fact that the US economy was reported earlier this week in the most recent quarter for which we have data to have grown in excess of 5% in annualized real terms. That certainly wasn't supposed to happen, that interest rates and bond yields would come down, growth would be at twice, at least twice the level of non-inflationary growth, the way we measure these things. So rapid growth, high employment, low inflation, those are things that economic economists uh, simply don't uh, can't compute. Um, I, I suspect a lot of pointy heads are, are exploding as we speak. Um, but yes, we, we need to do those look ahead pieces, Jim, and I look forward to having that discussion with you, being very careful not to make too many economic forecasts. But 2024, in anticipation of what we're going to be talking about, is going to uh, be a year of elections. There's going to be, in the first instance, a presidential election in Taiwan, which could be very significant in terms of how the People's Republic of China reacts to that, whether we get a friend or an enemy of China elected there. Then we've got Putin's up for re-election, sort of, next year. Uh, probably a general election in the UK, maybe even an election in Ireland, and definitely an election in the United States. And it's just... That US presidential election, I want to spend a minute or two, no more than that, talking about because there's an absolutely fascinating piece in the FT this week that made a couple of assertions that I would be interested in your views on, Jim. It said that if Joe Biden was to drop out, was to give over his place to retire, 
and allow somebody else from the Democratic Party, anybody, um, to take his place in the race to be president of the United States, the Democrats would win by a landslide. Equally, this piece also asserted that if Donald Trump was to do something similar, to stand down and let another Republican take his place on the ticket, against Joe Biden, any Republican would win by a landslide. And that nobody in America, or very few people in America, I should say, relatively few people in America, want either man to run. Trump has his supporters, Biden has his supporters, but an awful lot of people in the States just want to vote for anybody other than those two. And concluded this piece, the really interesting person that's coming up on the outside, still very much an outside bet for the Republicans, is Nikki Haley, who is self-described as Trump without the chaos, but she's not a clone of Trump. There are various things that she has differences with him on, not least support for Ukraine. She is very much in the camp that the United States interests are best served by continuing to support Ukraine. That's something that Trump is against, of course. But there are lots of reasons why she's becoming a person of interest to uh, those of us that that watch these things. First of all, the Koch brothers, um, I think one of them's dead now, so it's it's just one of them, but their empire, their business empire, has recently announced it's funding Nikki Haley. Now, that's a very astute, some would say malevolent group of people who have an awful lot of money backing somebody other than Trump, which is interesting. So why are they doing this? Interesting question. And finally... It is rumoured that Nikki Haley will replace Trump on the ticket because she will offer him, if he's in jail at the time she takes office, a full pardon. And his legal woes are going to get so big in 2024. His legal bills are going to get so big in 2024 that that pardon might become very attractive to him. Outlandish, Jim, or do you think that's interesting? I I think it's interesting because, um, first of all, looking at the... Any Democrat, apart from Joe Biden, uh, would beat Trump. Um, could you name one of those? Nobody's that's standing the problem. We, we can't. We can't. But... That's the problem. And, and, and I, you know, what, what, what I hear from Democratic sources would be that there is a belief within the Democratic Party that actually Biden, as was the case before the last election, that Biden is the only one in the Democratic Party capable of beating Trump. Um so I, I, I'm not sure, uh, but tr- uh, Biden's presidency, actually, uh, you were sp- talking about the strength of the U.S. economy, the labor market. You know, it's a bit of a Goldilocks scenario in the States at the moment, but yet he's incredibly unpopular. Is that because of his age? Is that the big issue at this juncture? I think it's twofold. I think that's a big factor. His age clearly is against him. And he, unfortunately for him, looks frail. And sometimes with his verbal gaffes, sounds frail. And the electorate just doesn't like that. They don't focus on what he has achieved, which in my book has been fantastic for the US economy. All those jobs, the environment, uh, his environmental policies have been great. And he's gotten America going again. As I said, the US economy is, is going great guns. Millions and millions of jobs, far more jobs than Trump ever created. I think the problem is being he's, is that he's blamed for the inflation that we had, which is unfair, but that's the way it goes. And the fact that every time they go into the shops, even though inflation is down, prices are not falling. Inflation is falling. So the price level is the issue. The fact that people still have to pay all these prices, particularly for their food, but also housing. Like everywhere else, Jim, the US has incredibly 
high house prices. I think one of the data points this week is that on one of the measures of U.S. house prices, they reached a record level, an all-time high this week. So uh, a familiar set of problems the world over. So he he gets blamed for the wrong things and gets no credit. So he's, he's like most parents, actually, all there to take the blame and none of the credit. Indeed, yeah, that's something I could certainly relate to. Uh, in terms of Nikki Haley and uh, the speculation or the rumour uh, that that's the deal she's trying to make with Trump. Um, I have spoken to, and I've listened to actually so many podcasts about what's going on in the States, and nobody seems to have a clue what the implications for Trump's potential presidency would be if he is convicted. Um, well, it depends whether he becomes the mafia president that yeah. he's threatening to become, or whether he just simply replicates the chaos, but not actually doing very much of his first term. And yeah. opinion is divided, but there are some sinister signs on the wall that he's already assembled a team of advisors to take retribution for to, for anybody that's ever offended him in any way, starting with, in his words, the Biden crime family. Is, the Department of Justice is going to be weaponized against them. Mm. Uh, he's talked about a 10% tariff on the day he takes office on all U.S. imports. So it's 1930s trade war style things going on. Um, so uh, for me, I think the Trump tres Trump presidency looks like it is going to be different to the first one and is going to be much worse. I think it is. Yeah, I think he, he's definitely going to step in and take out the <clears throat> excuse me, the permanent government, as we call it in this country. Um, and he's, he's just going to fill government with people of his own ilk. Uh, it's very sinister. Um, it just really, really beats me why um, he has such a level of popularity amongst a lot of voters in the United States. It just defies belief. Jim, you're heading off uh, early next week to the land of my birth, Canada. So yeah. I am very, very envious of you. Uh, but I am looking forward to recording a pod while you are there, uh, not least to discuss your impressions of uh, the United States' northern neighbour. And um, as I say, I, I am originally from Toronto. So uh, I hope you enjoy that city. I think you will. I think we'll manage to record one more before you go. But um, if I don't speak to you, have a great trip. Yeah, Chris, uh, you give the impression that every time I travel, it's on holidays, okay? Um, well, isn't this a holiday? Aren't you sightseeing around Toronto? I am speaking at events in Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto uh, over five days, lunch, breakfast, and dinner. So uh, it's going to be an incredibly busy week in what will be a very cold climate. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to it because the only part of Canada I've ever been uh, is Vancouver, which I love. So I'm really looking forward to seeing particularly the city of your birth, but also Montreal, actually, because having... Um, read a few biographies of Leonard Cohen over the years. Uh, I was always fascinated by the the impression I get is Montreal being a pretty edgy city. So I'm looking forward it's, to seeing it. It's wild. It's yeah. absolutely wild. I think you'll enjoy it. And couldn't be more dif different to Toronto or Vancouver, actually. Okay, interesting. So listen, yeah, so, we, will, we will do a podcast from Canada, certainly. I look forward to that. And uh, good to talk. Have a great weekend.
You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. We hope you enjoyed it. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mix.substack.com are on podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. If you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements, you can sign up to our Substack account. Comments and feedback are much appreciated. <laughs>